Got caught in a Canadian tradition today. Got caught slipping by the cold. Mm. You know? Happens. I used to make fun of Torontonians when I first moved here. Like, what are you guys doing wearing these clothes when it's cold outside? It's okay to admit it's cold outside. Put a nice big jacket on. Wear some boots. Do the parking boots. Wear some gloves. Wear a hat. It's all right. It's Canada. Don't we don't have to pretend? And I've become everything that I <laughs> that you mocked. hated. Yeah. I didn't hate it. I just thought it was funny. I just remember moving here and seeing people in like winter time wearing sneakers and a light coat. You're a Torontonian now, a man. Hoodie. Toronto man. And that was me today. I walked out and I was I'm freezing cold. I could not wait to get to the train. I was <laughs> struggling. I really wanted to get on that sucker. I was cold. That is the true, true Canadian tradition. No one's Who's out there other than little kids? Par- like parents are bundling up their kids for the cold, right? Yeah, yeah. But every person has that day. You undershoot like, it at some point. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Whoops. All right. It's winter. It's time to get real. For sure. Break out the boots. Break out the gloves. And Scarf? then like the following week when it's somehow like 12 degrees no. again. Yeah, long johns if you're going outside and spending real time. If I'm going out, if I know I'm spending a day in the snow, I'm, I'm not screwing around. Like when I went to the Argos game, I wore my fleece pants. I wore the huge jacket, big boots, like I, I gloves, hat, everything. Totally prepared. You're never going to catch me slipping on an actual outdoor day. Come on. <laughs> I am from the Yukon. I have some pride. I have some Yukon pride. But you'll catch me the odd day here in Toronto where I was like, oh, I want to look pretty. And then nope. <laughs> nope. Uh, wrong. Uh, okay. So Leafs hot yesterday. Hot Leafs Day. Mike Fuda in a couple minutes. Excited to talk to him. I haven't had him on for like a really long time. So I'm excited to talk to Fuchs. But Tree Living just talked out of the blue. This is not something I'm accustomed to. Transparency here in Toronto. Like a general manager actually stepping up and going, oh, okay, you know what? I'm going to talk to people because there's some stuff going on. And then was weirdly open about it. Because, yeah, listen, people... I saw a lot of, and I have seen a lot of, since Dubas came to town, Dubas would have never done this and Dubas would have never done that. It's like, all right, cool, yeah, for sure. Um, I think about it too. What would the team have looked like? I talked about it with Colby last Thursday before I took the break. But yeah, one thing that was a little refreshing yesterday was, yeah, just seeing uh, the, the front office talk to media like a normal business relationship. like a, Like, actually, you should be invested in our product and... Here's some thoughts on the sports team. It's a business and it's very serious and it's multi-millions of dollars and we obviously are doing our best, but yeah, it's not so serious that we're just, instead of talking to the media, we're putting out, what was that one tweet Dua said? The farmer was like, I guess so, or the the parable. (laughs) (laughs) The I guess so farmer. Bad things happen. I guess so. Good things happen. I guess so. Whatever. Anyway, these cryptic messages or this kind of adversarial nature with the media stuff, I just never really got. But anyways, um, First thing, I want to go through a couple things that were said yesterday, but the first thing before Tree is, is the coach, Sheldon Keefe, who apparently challenged his players in Sweden, has challenged his top line before, but they just haven't been going. It was the talk of yesterday's show. It's what we, Christopher Stieg and I tried to break down what you do, how you switch up the lines, when it was going to happen, and then boom, of course, classically, as soon as the podcast goes up, yeah. things happen, news happens, and beliefs decide to split them up. So um, Sheldon Keefe... Here was why it took him so long to split these guys up. Great reluctance on my part to, to make a change uh, to the Tavares group in particular and with Willie in particular, who has, you know, found, uh, really found a nice groove. His game's been going so well that 
you're reluctant to make a change to him and in his situation. So yeah, that's what I was saying yesterday. I thought two things were interesting there. One is that he didn't mention Bertuzzi, which is, I guess, kind of normal because he's not like part of the core. But I actually thought about him as the number one guy you didn't want to derail because he had had the actual difficulty to start the season. But it's actually the other two that have played together that are the constant of the Maple Leaf season so far that have been brilliant so far this season that have been so good that they've been drawing the attention of number one blue line pairings. And, and so, yeah, I think that that's a pretty big consideration is you've got sure. William Nylander going this way. You've got this player that is at the very tip top of his game. We've never seen him play this way before. And as I mentioned yesterday, Versteeg is shooting the puck more than ever. And so what what is the thought? Now, Keith did mention that they thought about other ideas when it came to what they were going to do with that line before they decided to pull the cord on this. But as deep as some people believe the forward group is, and I do think that it's deeper in terms of name value and some guys than years past, that the fits are not smooth. The fits are not seamless here. And I do think that, yeah, eventually when push comes to shove, as much as I've liked some moments from Nyes that... Nyes is going to probably end up on that third line at some point this year, and Yarncroc is going to end up eating some of those heavier minutes. But either way, they, they switch things up. It's no longer 34 and 16. It's no longer Matthews and Marner. And given the way that they played this year, given the way that they played so far, where, again, this line was outscored, they had one of the lowest shots per 60 out of any combination on the team, the only one that was lower. This was shocking. Saw this from Jonas Siegel yesterday. The only group of three players with a lower shots per 60 than the Matthews, Marner, and Eyes line so far this season that's had more than 30 minutes together was Reeves, Kampf, and Gregor. I read that almost f- fell out of my chair. Wow, yeah, that's true. It's like, that is unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, that was a great stat. It was like, how did no one have this stat? Siegel just out of the clouds good with pull. that one. Really, really good stat. He must, when I bet you that that's the kind of stat that's so strong that you get it. You're like, there's no way that this is this is true. Yeah, you're like quadruple yeah, check. Yeah, quadruple. <laughs> you do the the refresh, refresh, yeah. refresh. So do this with Joe, where it'd be like, check again. <laughs> make sure you don't make a fool out of me because everyone's gonna dunk on me if this turns out to be wrong. But this sounds weird to say because these guys have all played together before, but I am excited to see if this causes some kind of material change. Because you kind of have to hope that it does. If they end up having to go back to that at some point over the coming weeks, I think the Leafs could be in real big trouble in that, yeah, maybe it's even a new coach. Anyway, let's keep it moving to this. So Tree Living Speaks, which, again, I was texting people going, was this scheduled? Was, this, uh, was I supposed to be aware of this? Was I supposed to know about this? No, apparently not. It was just out of the blue. So he says he expects an answer on surgery for Klingberg in the next couple of days and that he said he didn't sign him knowing that this injury was there. I don't know. Well, Maybe, maybe not. I'm sure that, like, they knew his medical history, and he was hurt during training camp. They say this is something that really happened during a game this season. But, yeah, I'm guessing that when they gave him this contract that they had a pretty good understanding of, yeah, this this was a, a real possibility with the player. The only thing is you can't come out, obviously, you got to get out ahead of this and say exactly that because what, what else was he going to say? Yeah, we knew, actually. We we're going to slap him on LTR. We we're going to circumvent the cap. This was our plan all along. <laughs> no. But I thought this clip was particularly strong in terms of talking about Klingberg in the hole. And yeah, when he was asked about whether they need to trade for a defenseman. Um, 
you know, it was an area that we wanted to see if we could strengthen regardless. Now when you have injuries, it tests your depth. Um, like I said, you have people probably playing higher and more minutes than um, you want, um, and they're hanging in there. But it's certainly an area um, we'd, like to, we'd like to help ourselves. Yeah, okay, so some, I think... I really like this answer because he's just telling everybody what we all already know, which has been reported. And instead of just being cagey and going, we like our group and we feel like these guys, no, it's everybody knows it. You need to add a blue liner. And I don't think that tree Living's putting any cards on the table here and saying, Oh, well actually now teams are going to hold me over the barrel and say, Oh, we want more because you've said it on record that you want to trade for a defenseman. And I don't, I just don't think it's going to work that way at all. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows the Leafs need help. Everybody knows that Mark Giordano at age 40 shouldn't be the second pairing of a blue line. Everybody knows that Lagesson, as cool as it was that when Matt Sundin said his name, and Benoit aren't supposed to be your bottom pair. That maybe Connor Timmins supposed to be a seventh defenseman, not someone that you're actually leaning on. So he did go on to say something about how he's always thinking about it, like pretty much a stock GM answer, which is this is the job. I'm always thinking about it. Yeah, you, that's that's part of that's part of your responsibility. But then I, I like to. He said, the idea that you're always just going to trade yourself out of issues isn't realistic. And I thought that was a good reminder for this fan base moving forward. Here is, you know, really what this is going to come down to is the first thing, which is their star players need to drive the bus every single night. They've had a couple of games where they didn't get their production from their star players, and they lost. The back-to-back. They lost to Penguins on Saturday. They lost to Blackhawks on Friday. Big part of that was, yes, the production or the lack thereof that they didn't get from William Nylander, that they didn't get from Tavares, that they didn't get from Matthews, they didn't get from Marner. Now the, now the question is going to be, can they turn it around? Anyway, he also mentioned casually that they're working on the Willie extension. Nylander's camp has said that they will go into the season and they will negotiate. Maybe this ends up getting done during the year. The only question is, how much has his leverage changed? Anyways, we'll talk to former AGM, two-time Stanley Cup, Mike Fuda, right after the break. Leafs talk, which, by the way, tonight, right after the game. I, I didn't even know that Patty Kane signed. <laughs> I, I was not aware. Yeah. You guys let me know just now. So, yeah, good for Patty Kane. Detroit, nice. Nice one, Detroit. I, I honestly feel a little bit bad for the Sabres, though. It's just if you're losing out to Detroit, they've been waiting for him to be like the hometown return of the prodigal son for quite some time. And you keep thinking that Buffalo is supposed to be that team. And always Buffalo is just in this weird zone of you, you look at their team and you look at their roster and you go, why aren't you guys awesome? Why aren't you guys one of the best teams? It just feels like they're, they're the almost team. Maybe one year they'll end up putting it together. But yeah, that, that one stings. I, I kind of want to see Patty King go there. Red Wings don't need more. Red Wings have had enough. Red Wings can go away. Mike Fuda, two-time Stanley Cup champion, former AGM. What's up, brother? How are we doing? Good, my friend. How are you doing? Doing all right. Uh, before I get into the Leaf stuff, did you watch the Kachuk Bowl last night? Yes, I did. God, that was glorious. I was <laughs> thrilled to watch that product. I This is the thing I, I, I will never understand about the NHL and the way that the, the league is moving. And you're starting to see some of this pushback all the way across. Like football players are talking about it, right? Tom Brady was... 
uh, I don't know, I think it was his own podcast where he was discussing that he thinks there's a lot of mediocrity in football and that they're making the game so safe that it's not protecting defensive players, that the rule changes are kind of, yeah, really hurting the sport. And I feel that way with hockey, with the intensity and the passion sometimes. To see two brothers yapping at each other, one right after he gets jumped in a fight with his head, you know, beat open. I, I've i never, like, that's the best moment of the hockey season for me. Really. I, I, don't, I don't know if it'll be topped. Well, it'll be interesting for sure. I, I agree with you. I mean, because I thought from a hockey standpoint, early especially, it, it did lack some, but well, certainly lacked execution on Ottawa's part. And uh-huh. They didn't have that passion. And then, you know, it's, it's it's three to nothing. And then McEwen, which I didn't, I didn't like what he did because I still felt Ottawa's explosive enough at three nothing to score. But when mm-hmm. he did it, it just turned into must-watch TV. I mean... And uh, to see that, you know, they got the lip reading down on uh, oh, yeah. telling me Sanderson and uh, <laughs> I love whoever that else. Too. You're, you're, they're dead. Yeah. Timmy, it was like if he was, it wasn't, it's like he knows who he is. Yeah. Timmy's dead. Yeah. <laughs> like, tell Timmy he's dead. Okay. So, anyways, but it was it was fun to watch. I mean, I've never seen, I get like, the first for everybody when a ref doesn't have time to announce everybody. So he just gives everybody in the building a 10 minute misconduct. Love it. Uh, it was great. It was great. Yeah. Now, the, the thing about it is, here, here sit the Leafs, uh, which I guess I know that's what you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. They're sitting at home on a team that, for the most part, hasn't played as good as they are and as good as I still think they are. They don't come out consistently with that kind of fire in their belly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they seem to, they need a moment like when they kind of got called out on the, the Marshawn hit and then all of a sudden they started coming out. You know, the, the next game I went to down, I mean, Giordano fought. They didn't play Rees, but Giordano fought. Uh, mm-hmm. Every The building was rocking. So now you've got a team. They're sitting at home watching that last night. You've got to think that even though, I mean, Florida kind of had their heads fed to them at home the last two games, and they responded to Maurice with that kind of effort. So now you come into Toronto. They should be emotionally exhausted a little bit to start the gate. So I think tonight's start to a game from the Toronto Maurice a police perspective, seeing where they are in the standings. So when you say the regular season doesn't matter, this clearly matters because with the games in with the games in hand, Florida sits, I think, four points ahead of them. That they're going to have to find a way to match that energy coming out of the gate because Florida's battle tested in a game like that, and it'll be interesting. And it doesn't mean they have to come out and fight off the opening draw, but you have to match that energy, and you can't. You know, it's not good enough because now Bobrovsky is going to be out tonight. I'm sure they're going to play Stolarz. So mm-hmm. not that it's he's not an NHL goaltender, but he's not their number one guy. So you've got everything boating towards coming out of the gate, being rewarded with offense early, and certainly matching. And you should be able to not only match their energy, but exceed it. And uh, throwing in it is the fact that they did end your season last year. So there's yeah. so many things that should test the medal of the Leafs tonight, that it should be just as equally fun to watch. So th- that's that's the big one for me is um, I, I don't need the Leafs to be the, the fighting team. In fact, I, I feel like that's how they make the Reeves mistakes is that they go, well, we're going to bring a tough guy in here and they're going to fight. Or you tell Kyle Clifford that this is the way we're going to start a series with Tampa and he cross-checks somebody in the back and, and puts you on a huge power or a penalty kill. Um, the, the identity of the team just isn't that. But what it reminded me of with Matthew Kachuk in particular, because, and, and maybe I'm, I'm being a little picky here because the Sens are last in the division. The team's just not going well again this year. 
And they're just, they're always slow starts, slow starts to every single season. But when I was wa- watching Matthew Kachuk yesterday, I-, I thought, man, of course you're the hockey unicorn all of a sudden, the guy that plays with intensity, that also has the skill, that also has the size, that will drop the gloves. But calling out the other guy on the bench and just wanting that and, and playing with, like you said, that fire. And to me, it's just so much in sports is taking on the personality of the best players on your team, right? And for me right now, this puts an extra highlight or spotlight on Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews tonight because Nylander's been going and he's been going great. And so far, like over the course of the entire season, he's been the team's best player. I don't expect Austin Matthews to fight. That's never going to happen, right? I'm done litigating should he have been in a scrum. I like it when he gets a little physical, great. But I'm just, I'm over that. So I'm expecting Matt, uh, Mitch Marner when... Kachuk gets in his face and throws a rabbit punch to smile because that's all he can do and that's fine. But those guys are at their best when they're playing with like that attitude and that cockiness and that, you know, Matthews is scoring goals and he's looking at the fans and he's getting loud and Marner is playing with that like infectious energy and he's got the big smile on his face. And I think that's the big one for me tonight is these two guys split up on these lines, haven't been called out, forcing other players to go into, I don't want to say uncomfortable positions, but yeah, out of their comfort zones, if you're especially a guy like Nylander in a contract year, I, I want to see it from them against the team that eliminated them. I want to see it right after it happens where you get split. It, it actually does feel like a bit of a, a real test to me tonight for those guys, their personalities and where their games are at. I, I, I agree with you 100%. Other than, and I mean, I'd love to see that, but there's, that's why they call it the Chucky Unicorn. I mean, I, I get a little concerned because just having been in Toronto the last couple of years and not being with the team and getting to watch them at length, mm-hmm. uh, you, ha- you have to be careful because we sit and talk about it and say, okay, the regular season doesn't matter anymore, which clearly it does because, you know, these guys have lit it up and done exceptional things in the regular season and then, then they get called out on, you know, whether they had shortcomings in the playoffs. So mm-hmm. to a certain extent, when you're building a team, team management, I mean, and, and this is new because Brad Trellowing's come in and he's tried to add some grit and toughness. Um, it's starting to look like Bertuzzi's fitting in. It's starting to be more Bertuzzi-like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Max, when he's getting minutes, is starting to look more comfortable. I agreed with the Reeves addition. Uh, I didn't. I wasn't thrilled with the cap, the, the cap hit, but I did, I did not think having a presence like that, particularly at the time when Boston was adding... Uh, you know, I mean, unfortunately, what's happened with Luch, but they were adding Milan Lucic. You know, Tampa Bay's got you know they've got some toughness that a guy like Ryan Reeves might be able to be a part of taking a little air out of their tires when they're playing some of those top teams. But with these top two players, they are elite of the elite, and at some point, you got it. You get what you get. Um, I think for the first part, I mean, I, I love watching these guys play. I think that Matthews has his own way of being competitive whether it's strong on pucks. Uh, I think where the Leaf fans are getting frustrated, it's called, we used to call it in uh, Los Angeles, scrum management. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, we actually hired a UFC guy to deal with our players. And it was nothing to do with teaching them how to fight. It was to teach them how to go into scrums and know you're, you're going to be fine, right? You might come out with a bloody nose or something like that, but you're, you, you can go in there and, and not look like you're, you know, you're disinterested or terrified and, uh, and, and it's effective. And I think that way you go in, cause you're realistically, if you can get through all the bravado, I mean, if you had it to Chuck, you want to fight, it's definitely going to be Matthew, right? You don't want the other, the other guy might kill you, but mm-hmm. if you get through the bravado, Matthew fights who, like when we talk about who he's fought, you're not talking about, 
guys that are, should be really worried about getting beat up. He's just an incredible player who knows how to get into the grills of the top guys, and then he ends up fighting guys like Klingberg, right? So it'll be a test, and, and I think they have to match the intensity. And just, But I don't think for one second that Matthews is a scared hockey player. I think that there's part of that just finding an identity as a team, and I still think because the back end is kind of, as Brad, I think, calls it a work and manage a work in process, which clearly I still think it is. That this team is struggling to find an identity on a consistent basis, mm-hmm. and the problem with this group, uh, my friend, as we've talked at length, is what you're seeing around the league is Boston, Tampa aren't dropping off at the pace that I thought they would, uh, given who they graduated. They're not running away. Like Boston, obviously, they're not running away. Like they've had a little blip in the radar screen, too, here with their loss to Columbus, and I think they've lost a few in a row. Yeah, three. Dealing with some controversy, right? So they're not running away. Uh, but the Leafs just can't get stagnant and have these. They have to have one of those stretches where they play as, Consistently, I didn't think they were great in Sweden, but they were really good. To come back and not just take out the Chicago Blackhawks who were dealing with their off-ice situations, and I mean, they came out and whatever, they were out shooting them 9 to nothing. but it's, if it's still 0-0, zero, zero, it doesn't matter. Yeah, they That's faded a game too. That you, yeah, exactly. And they brought, they, that old analogy, they let a team hang around and hang around, and then they get a couple bounces, and all of a sudden they're, they're out, they lose in overtime. Those are points... That's the difference between a massive winning streak starting and now you're you're up against it again and you've got, you know, the Dubas Bowl coming up where it could go either way because Pittsburgh's desperate. You don't come up with your best effort. Now you started another losing streak mm-hmm. and you've turned this homestand into a really self-reflective homestand because you've got a team ahead of you that I thought was going to drop off in Florida. You've got Seattle who seems to have found their game uh, and they're still – definitely a team you could overlook but they're playing much better hockey and then you've got a probably very wounded porcupine waiting in, in the Bruins mm-hmm. because they, they could be on a four or five game losing streak so I agree with you this is going to be a massive reflection in the mirror uh, I think you probably noticed that I'm noticing is last year when Sheldon Keith kind of called out the guys early in the year he had to roll it back and apologize the next day I'm not seeing that he, yeah. seems, to be more, he seems to be more comfortable in calling guys out uh, acknowledging that they're great players, that, but he needs more from them. And now we see how they respond to it. I mean, they haven't been giving press conference saying they're upset that Sheldon gave them a little whack on their, on their tushes. So we'll see if they're they're pissed off enough and they come back hard God, as well. That was so embarrassing. Uh, you remind me of that. I hated that. That was the worst. Oh, no, I hated it too because uh, it, just, it, it made it look like the, 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 the inmates were running the asylum. Yeah. And I, I, think, I think the good thing, I think right now, Brad's such a Brad's a refreshing new voice. I think Kyle has developed personal relationships, and as Brad does with his new players as well. But there's a it's just a different personality, and the way he would probably be able to communicate with some of these guys and, and communicate with fresh freshly with Sheldon on, hey buddy, you've got the. I mean, it was an extreme. He had Daryl Sutter, so <laughs> having a coach that calls people out, I'm sure Brad. This was uh, this was quite a unique opportunity. It was the easiest good cop, see. bad cop ever. Was that? <laughs> it's like, yeah, bring in Sutter. You're like, I am the best cop. <laughs> Everyone loves yeah, that. So cop. It's, it's gonna it's gonna be fun to see. But again, I look at, I mean, right from the beginning, I told you what I thought of the Klingberg, uh, the Klingberg uh, mm-hmm. signing. I mean, I actually talk to Brad about it and I mean everybody has their reasoning and, and it's, the, the hockey game is filled with great decisions and mistakes that you might want to have back I just didn't it's not that I I didn't like the number and I didn't like the fit for 
the way his game was trending based on what the least needed on the back end. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and now obviously Timmons coming back. It's a, it's a good, it's, it, I mean, I, I believe it's, it's a nice in the interim for regular season, but uh, Brad, this blue line is not going to look the same uh, by the time Brad's done working on it. And uh, yeah. again, it'll be interesting. I personally, I know that everybody, everybody talks about him basically just driving to Calgary and coming back with all the defense he likes from Calgary and just inserting them into the Leafs lineup with a bow on them. But there's so many teams that want defensemen that that's just not going to be the case. But if I was to pick one, I know a lot of people love the big left shot, Zadorov, who I like as well, but I feel a healthier version. If you get, if you're like anybody can be hurt is that I think can have the perfect slot given the fact that I think as these guys age, and I've talked about this before, when you have left-hand shots, it's hard enough as you get older playing the left side. But when you're asked to play the, your offside on the left side as an older player, I think it's even more difficult and you get exposed. So bringing in a right shot guy that's just noted warrior, hard to play against, uh, has playoff pedigree, uh, can move the puck. I think I think Tanev's a much better fit. But well, man, they need a right shot yeah. D though too, because they like they're down to pretty thin options there with the Lilligren injury. And thank God, well, McCabe. It's, just, it's just it's just Timmons, right? And McCabe yeah. plays the offside. God bless him. But I swear, I just say you notice that you've got, you've got to cheat. You've got to cheat, especially the way the game's changed and the speed of these forwards you're seeing. Uh, you have to cheat even when you're a right shot D, but when you're a left shot D playing your offside, the adjustments, you just see a lot of, uh, you see a lot of openings off the rush or players getting an extra jump that usually results in a minor penalty. Cause when you have to make that turn on your offside, you're, you're bound to get your stick in somewhere. Mm. Um, that's going to lead to a minor penalty, but it'll be interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited. I'm actually going tonight and, uh, and uh, I hope the energy is as exciting oh, as it was late in the game last night. So. Me too. I really did. What cannot happen tonight is the team that left everybody feeling pretty embarrassed in this city after last year's <laughs> playoff exit comes in here on a back-to-back after they show a ton of intensity and still find a way to, yeah, take the game from you. You know, I, like that, that would be a tough one tonight. That's what I'm saying. I really do feel like there's pressure on this homestand. Like Tree Living's talking. They, their coach is calling out players. The, even Matthews and Marner both saying Matthews kind of like culping to some of it being mental and effort based with him and Marner. Marner saying that he's not trusting his game right now. Like they, they got to show something over these next four. The, the whole regular season doesn't matter thing was about accolades. It still matters in terms of getting the points. Like you got to make the playoffs. You got to show that you're still a team to be reckoned with. And yeah, the team has holes. But I, I really, like I said, I really, really, really want to see it from the top guys. And I'm very, very curious to see what happens if they're not able to pull out of this thing over, yeah, the next week where they're in front of home and they've got a bunch of games and some of them are pretty marquee. But that, you know, you mentioned the the Zordorov thing. And I'm with you on I'd rather see the team at a left shot D, even though I do think Zadorov is the guy just if you were picking somebody that the Leafs needed, like a physical presence, someone who could score, someone with size, he he checks a lot of boxes for me. The question is, do you if you're in the room right now with Tree, are you advocating that you try to make this move now? Are you trying to be patient and waiting, knowing that, yeah, you only have you have a pretty limited pool of assets that you're working from and you might have, well, you don't might. You, right now, you have holes down the middle, you have holes on the blue line, and you might have a hole in net. Well, Calgary's, Calgary's now in the perfect spot. 
Uh, I don't think their their change. I don't think their plans have changed. I think they're because these guys are all UFAs. Yeah. Um, and they got off to such a shaky start. Um, that was it. That was them in a hole. They're I in a wild card spot now, though. Look at the look, yeah, look, exactly. And playing well and looking, everybody's having fun coming to the rink. So now there's no need for them. And again, knowing the assets that you have, and Hannafin, who's still not signed, and uh, and maybe now they get back on the tracks if they start to look in that. But I don't think if I'm if I'm sitting in the Calgary management position with Craig Conroy, that I'm in any rush to make a deal unless someone's going to blow me out of the water. And I personally, which in a case like the Leafs, I don't think they have the dynamite to throw in the water to blow somebody out. I think Brad has, is going to find creative ways because obviously salary retention, I mean, Klingberg, if he goes to whatever it's called, Robita Island, that's going to be a blessing, but you've got to be really cagey with your assets. And, and again, when you get in that situation where you're really up against it with the cap, you have to give up something. I mean, I, I always call it the leaf water cooler trades, which you guys joke about, which people used to tell me. I used to joke I'd get my friends and I was know, raised you, on them. I was raised oh, on them. I know, them. I know. You yeah. know, would you guys trade Dowdy for yeah. Engvall? No, 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 not today. <laughs> you but should have, though. Things, I always tell you, if you were a true hometown guy, you would have found know, a way. I would have gone over well. Yeah. I would have been unemployed much sooner. <laughs> but then you sit there and look. But you look at these trades, and I again, you can't, when you're this tight, you've got to make the right move. You just can't mm-hmm. make a move for helping yourself, uh, making your team better. Sometimes you do that at the end of free agency and it comes back to bite you because the cap value is so much. And that was one of my, my knocks on what was the Timmons signing. It wasn't, I didn't like Timmons or anything, but with cap money being so at the time he was signed to a three-year extension, he was not even a playoff defenseman on the Leafs. So why are you committing 1.3 million for three years for somebody that you've just acknowledged is not in your top seven. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I hope, for the kid's sake, I mean, he looks like he's, you know, he's a, he's a great kid. He's a, a great teammate. But I just thought at the time, those cap dollars are so valuable. Why are you allocating them when there's no need to, time-wise? Because now that extra money on top of what you can get when you have $5.5 million as opposed to having $3.5 million is vastly different when it comes to Brad having to make a trade to make the team better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're going to have a, look, a long look at their goaltending. I think it's been inconsistent, but I don't think it's – not worthy of getting you through, um, getting you through if you improve your defense. Um, I, I still think up front, there's some guys that are better suited for the playoffs if they're used properly. I think Max Domi in the last couple of years has been exceptional when he gets his minutes get up a little and he starts to feel a little better about himself. Mm-hmm. Um, now, here's another question. You start to see a guy, and this is one thing that's always internally hard to do, is you start to see a prospect look like exactly the way you want him to look. And now people on the outside are like, like probably three months ago, you couldn't have, you really have to sell somebody on what Robertson brings to the table, right? But now he's starting to be, become what you wanted him to become. Mm-hmm. Do you really want to move on from him? So it, those are the decisions that lie with Brad and his staff, and he's done an exceptional job at especially filling holes that are needed. for. He did it with the Calgary Flames, and I'm sure he's going to do his best to do it here. But again, you have to give up. When you're up against it and there's so many teams available, you have to give up something that you don't want to get to get that piece that's going to make it over the top. And I was there mm-hmm. firsthand because Dean Lombardi called me, called me into the office and said, Futes, I know your favorite players outside of our organization is Mike Richards. I coached him. He goes, we're going to have to give up Braden Shen and Wayne Simmons to get him. And 
neither nobody wanted to give up Braden Shen and nobody wanted to give up Wayne Simmons, but we did it. And Mike Richards put us over the top and we were fortunate enough to win a couple Stanley cups. Now mm-hmm. those don't always work out, but most teams that make that trade that puts them over the top and really fills the note on, on a contending team, you're giving up something you never wanted to give up. I mean, mm-hmm. when you look at Ryan O'Reilly brought to the St. Louis blues, Tage Thompson went the other way. Right. So it's really hard to convince teams on the other side that are doing their homework to take things that you don't think fit for something, you know, is a great fit. Yeah. Um, and, and particularly now with the parody, because there's so many teams looking for the same thing. So it'll be exciting. It'll be, uh, again, for my, for my hockey going down and knowing the cost of being at a Leafs game nowadays, I hope it has that same energy. Oof. I mean, because it has all the, it has all the makings on what should be a gunfight with energy, talent, skill, grit, um, physicality, and uh, and the hope they can live up to the bill. Because for a regular season game, like for the whole like regular season isn't supposed to matter. Games like this matter. Yeah, you need to do this. And you know, I I argue with Versteeg about this all the time because whenever he goes, he's always like, "Yeah, the fans don't get up. They're they're terrible. The fans don't give the energy in the building." And I go, yeah, you know why? Because they're you accustomed now to paying how much money plus the beer plus the snack, and they're sitting there in the arena, and all of a sudden there's just a, it happens to be one of the nights where the star players aren't picking their feet up, and you go, great, thanks, thanks for this. Well, you, you, you JD, you'd be able to talk. I, I was at the game, and it tells me you know, my mind's been all over yeah. the place, but I was there the game that Geo fought. And yeah, then, uh, and the crowd and goes then, nuts. I, yeah. I think, and then Max fought somebody. Yeah. And and the energy in that building was phenomenal. Yes, but man. if you come out and you play Harlem Globetrotters and you're out shooting a team ten to one or something, and it's zero, still zero zero, and and it's hard it's hard to expect. And then they pump in go Leafs go. Yeah, no, that's and, the worst. And expect you to wind it up. It's no. not. It, no, that's no, no. not on the fa- that's not on the fans. No, it's that's not on the players to bring the energy in the that, building because anybody in that anybody in that uniform knows that if you bring it. The fans will bring it. That's 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 my thing. And and why so much of this talk to me is just again revolving around the superstar players and what this stretch is gonna tell you about these guys. Because yeah, Marner and Matthews just flat out like Matthews has the goals, Marner still has a bunch of points, but you really go through these numbers and it's it's tough. Like Matthews gone on another stretch where he hasn't scored, Marner's numbers are down across the board, their line got weirdly caved in when they were together this season on a, a like on the entirety of the year, which is pretty ugly considering yeah the 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 money that those guys make and yeah just who they are as players and so you can kind of forgive it given the overall track record and say all right these guys are likely to turn around but you know the, the reason why I'm asking all these questions is kind of leading to this which is all right the trade market nothing nothing looks like it's really materializing right now and given where the Leafs are at and like you just said and where Calgary is I don't know how Toronto fixes their problems with trades. And Tree Living said something really smart yesterday, which I mentioned earlier off the top of the show, which is uh, this, quote, the idea that you're always just going to trade yourself out of the issues isn't realistic, end quote, right? So it's like the pressure's on the team. The GM just talked. The coach is calling out the players. The players are being shuffled up. They can't make a trade. There's nobody coming back from injury. There's nobody in the AHL right now that's coming up to bail these guys out. Feels like... If things don't turn around here in the next couple of weeks, like what is the pressure level to you? Because it feels like the only card that they have left until the deadline or somewhere at least closer to it is Keefe, is, is to just remove the coach for the sake of removing the coach. Oh, well, 
Brad Trelevin's not going to do that. And I mean, and, and, and nor should he, unless he, first of all, unless there is somebody out there that, uh, and, and again, I, I think Sheldon has not been the issue. Um, mm-hmm. But we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see that. But the, for that, that thing is you've got to know in your heart and soul, like what they did in Edmonton. And I, and I truly believe, I mean, that, that was something that wasn't so much ordained by Connor McDavid is that he was ready. Chris, Chris has put in all, and he was ready to be an NHL head coach. So um, I think if, like if all, if, if, for example, and I know this isn't a scoop, I mean, but if, if, if there's a, if there's a, a relationship between Brad Trelling and Dean Evison or something like that, who I clearly think has been exceptional as a coach, then, then if there's somebody of that gist or, or, or whether, you know, everybody talks about whatever Joel Campbell or whatever you're, if there's somebody out there that you feel is marketably better than what you have, that's fine. But you, for it's one thing you don't make a trade just for making, making a trade, but you don't just get rid of your coach when you're, you know, you're in a, like there is, it took nine losses in a row for Minnesota to take a change. The Leafs here have shown that they can play under, uh, under, under Sheldon. He seems to have a little bit more um, rope with regards to being, to calling them out in a, in a productive way. And let's see how they respond. If I was told, Hey guys, nobody's getting traded here. Don't have to worry about your families moving. Uh, Don't have to worry about getting on bended. All you got to do is just play hard and come together. I feel pretty good as a team. That was the message in the offseason, though, when Shanahan called these guys and was like, everybody's good, right? That was the thing. Shanahan called all the stars and told them, nobody's going anywhere. Everybody's here to stay. We're going to settle this thing down, and it's going to be fine. And at some point, it's just like, all right, how many times can you tell these guys, it's all fine, we believe in you, it's all going to be all right, and then get results like this? Like that, That's what I'm well, saying about this stretch. Well, is, we'll, it's important. As I, said, if they, if I 100% agree with you, J.D., but I'm telling you right now, if you really micromanage the standings, they're, if they win the two games in hand, they're two points out of first place. Yeah. So it's not, it's not, it's Toronto panic. It's not league-wide panic, but I do agree with you that it's the trending inconsistencies. You don't, show that you've grown as a team. If you win four, lose two, win three, lose two, you know, this team has got to put one of those, you know, streets where you lose a couple, it's one thing, but you lose battling. You don't lose with the same question marks um, coming up, right? You yeah. don't lose to, to the Chicago Blackhawks under any circumstances. And this is not a knock on the Chicago, but when you're the, when you're a team like the Leafs that had that whole week should have come out full of piss and vinegar and came out, you know, they came out and, and, and looked talented, but they did, they weren't, they were not going to choke out the Chicago Blackhawks in those first 10 minutes and just remind them that you're not in the same league as us. Mm-hmm. And those, that that's a problem. That's been a problematic thing with the Toronto teams in the past is they yeah. come out and they push, they push. And if they haven't buried a team by then, they let off the, they let off the, the, the nozzle and you're into one. And I mean, yeah. but the only thing I wouldn't say, and the one thing I would say, and I, and I love the player and I love to keep, but you gotta be really careful in the Toronto media market, everything's dissected. And I mean, I don't even know if the quote was, but somebody jokingly said to me that, that Mitchie said, uh, I'm not as great as I usually am or something like that. Mm. If that was the, if that was the quote, and I'm pretty sure unless it was a misquote. And if I was, I completely apologize. Those I, are the ones that, those are the ones have a look at that. Ask your staff to look that up. He was asked to critique his game or something. Yeah. And he says, I'm not, not up to par, but I'm, I'm not as great as I usually am. Or something. Armin has it. If you want to, you want to play it, Armin, you want to listen to it. Let's hear what it actually is. Cause he clipped it for me before the show, but and I never So if it's toned in, cause it's such a tone thing, but something like that, just those are the kind of things that would irk uh, a leaf, 
a Leaf basic fan because this guy's been magic and it's so hard to play in your hometown city yeah. and be as productive as he has. And he, he takes it on with pride, mm. but that's, if, if that's the quote and if it's a different tone, then I apologize for yeah. you. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, I feel this is where I'm at with the, cause I, I want, I want your perspective on what you think is going on with Mitch and why this, the season has been such a struggle for him so far. But, and like, again, I don't want to sound like I'm being an apologist here, but I do look at, People always say, oh, it's like the media, it's the fans, or Toronto and the pressure and blah, 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 the taxes, right? There, People are always trying to find a different reason why it's hard to play here. And I, I always say, oh, it shouldn't be that hard. You should want to play in one of the only markets that matters, right? Like, it's, it should be outweighed by the money and the fame and the commercials and the opportunity for glory. Like, that's what you should be chasing. Um, that's what I would hope that a player coming here would want to be chasing. But where I do, where I do wonder is if just the grind of this reaches a, a point with certain guys. And, and I, I wonder if he feels just like a little burnt out. And, I, like, and I'm guilty of this too, right? I see Kachuk have a game like this, and I go, man, wouldn't it be amazing to have this guy? But he has the, the luxury of when he does go into a slump, nobody's seeing what's going on with the Florida Panthers if they lose, you know, three or four games in a row or if he goes through a cold streak, right? So no one really ends up talking about it. So he gets the praise when it happens. And I just feel like for Mitch right now, when I'm looking at it, it's like maybe it's just a, a little bit of burnout because I don't know how else to explain what it is we're seeing here. Like, like what do you see with Marner right well, now? It's too, it's too early in the season for it to be burnout. I just see, Oof, I know that's the problem. I, I see an, well, I see an exceptionally proud guy that takes so much pride in being a Toronto Maple Leaf. And I, I and I don't know what, so this is speculation and I hate getting yeah, yeah. into it, but you, yeah, you see what is. Austin signed for Like last year, Mitch, I felt, I mean, and I don't want to edit my men in black uh, memory banks, but I thought he was their MVP last year, right? Same. Okay. And so the whole entire off season is all about Austin getting Matthews done. Uh, and because he's, he's Austin and he gets it done and he's going to be a leaf and that's great. It's all about him. Mitch is kind of dusted off under the pan again. And then, then Willie comes out and Willie's been the best leaf for this. I mean, other than, you know, Matthews, everybody's expecting to score 700 goals after his mm-hmm. start. When he's on, he's 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 the best. Yeah, I love his power game. He does things that other people can't just because of his size and strength. And I love everything about his game because um, he kind of. Somebody made the point the other day when he's even when he's off, he can physically because he's such a big dominant guy. When Mitch is off, he looks he can he can look circly and and disengaged and uh, but. This guy is a good elite point. of the he's elite of the elite, and I mean, and he's become defensively responsibility. But I, I'm sure sometimes there's got to be a little bit of the. This is my hometown. I'm proud. Once again, I'm dusted down to the now. I'm in the three hole. Uh, everybody's questioning my game. I don't see it, but it's got to be tough on him. This kid's a Toronto-born guy that wears it on his sleeve and doesn't run away from anything. And I have talked to players, and I'm not going to give their names uh, that really struggle with the treatment of the highs and lows of being a local player. And it's not Mitch, Mm -hmm. but other guys that have, you know, being on the street and being identified and people just, you know, glowingly throwing rose petals and at the same time, glowingly throwing wrenches at your head when things aren't going well, it's tough. It's tough. And you can't tell me that whatever the external um, message was delivered or internal message. I really feel, for example, that Ryan Riley, it depends at what stage of your life you're at too, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're an older veteran, you can be probably a little bit more comfortable with it, but as a young guy that's 
you know, now looking at he's got he's looked at it was in the elite elite in the NHL. What's his next contract going to be compared to what you know Nylander's talking about his? What's Matthews got? It's got to weigh in you a little bit, and, and he's just got to go out and play. Mm-hmm. But it's got to be tough in the Toronto market when you're a Toronto kid that's grew up watching it. And now you're you're taking once again. Everybody's like you know I'm hearing the. Marner's got to be the next erosion. You know, he's got to be the guy that we just decide to move out for our Kawhi Leonard and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, hey, listen, if they can get Kawhi Leonard, a hundred percent. Like, yeah, can we? Yeah, I would do that. Like, but would, is, he right, you, is he right shot, Zeke? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. He's got size. Like, he's got size. He's yeah, physical. He's got length. He's got reach. Yeah, exactly. He's got more hockey sense than Zadorov. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm just yeah, my circle. I love yeah, Zadorov. Yeah, it's I all good. On my team. Yeah. But I'm just thinking for me, I just think Mitch, there's an added pressure being a Toronto sure. kid and uh and I think uh he's done so much and he's just got to he's got to bring it up a level but I thought again I, so I read that quote and I was just like oh man I hope that's just the tone I haven't heard it live and I hope mm-hmm. it's a, but it's just like you gotta when you have that kind of opinion of how you are it's a good thing I've always said it's good I love guys that are that are cocky and confident I don't like arrogance and when this team when the, the, the thing that I've always said for this team to succeed as a group because they are multi-talented and they've got character and they clearly care about each other they've got to play with confidence it can be cocky but the minute this mm-hmm. team plays arrogant with then when it doesn't succeed, you immediately open up to going back and looking at your track record of failures in the playoffs and people are wide open to pick apart because you are making millions and millions of dollars. It opens that Pandora's box. I'm picking apart your effort, your character, your want, your will. If you show arrogance without production. Last one. Um, Tree living yesterday said, quote, our objective is to get Willie signed and we're working on it. End quote. What do you think the number is today? Today? It's probably in your happiest day, ten five. I think uh, uh, I just it's so hard to here's a guy like in, for me, he's always been polarizing for me, and the more I've learned about him from people that I care about and I know about their work ethic, they love him i he I'm one of those throwbacks that because he looks like he doesn't sweat, I assume he's not working hard. Um, but I hear from people in their development that this guy does everything asked of himself. And then, of course, you see him on his Instagram looking like Ric Flair or friggin' David Beckham, and you're like, okay, that's exactly gorgeous. what I don't like about him. Yeah. You know, the guy doesn't have a scar on him. He's pissing me off. Why doesn't he, why doesn't he get His life is better than mine. I hate yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. Why, why, doesn't he look, why, why doesn't he, you know, why, where is stitch marks? Why doesn't yeah. he look like Jerry Cheever's math? Yeah. You know what? The guy is, the guy is, an elite player and he seems to and here's a guy with the pressure of being in Toronto he seems to just get better and better with it nothing it's the right kind of it just washes off his back and I'm starting to see an adjustment him getting into scrums and not just taking off and getting out of there and he's not going to fight anybody but there's not that fear of getting in there probably because he's probably such a strong kid that he knows as long as he grabs onto somebody and holds on that's the thing with Matthews for me is he's so strong he shouldn't have any fear about just getting in and grabbing onto somebody. And, and if you go in, you know, straight up and your knees aren't bent the same, then you're going to lose your balance. But if these guys go in with the same athletic position that they protect the puck and stuff, nobody's going to, nobody's going to throw them around or, or take liberties on them anyways. But no, I love the Nylander thing. I, I wish I could give you a lower number and who knows? I mean, I just, this is the part that once the, and everybody, it, it, the one thing when you look, it's, it's, it's hard to look in the outside, and I used to do it all the time. And say, it's what it does matter. What you set your inter- and this is 
this was set, and this is why Lou Amarello is a legend. When you set your internal cap, uh, you basically tell their agents, this is what we're prepared to do. So when people look and say, well, look at Colorado's elite guys, look what they signed for. Well, that's when you sign your top guy for whatever it's, it's, it's higher now, but when you sign your top guy for nine, seven, five, then your second top guy who really wants to stay there understands that if I'm staying in Colorado, it's going to be under that mount. So when you set the bar so high and then you have a contract like Tavares, you're very rarely like Mitch Marner is not coming in for a home dis hometown discount. Willie Vlander is going to get his money. And when, and you're in, a, in one sense, you're in a great spot because you have great core players and you've got skill coming out the wazoo. But if you've set your internal cap at that, that's what the agents feed off of. They don't look I, you want to look and say, well, look what, so here's my comparable, you know, look what Tachuk's taking the player or look what Marshawn makes. Well, that's what they make because that's what the internal cap is in Boston. And those players want to play in Boston so much and like the city and the atmosphere and the fact they have a chance to win every year that they're willing to take that money. Mm-hmm. And we were the same way in LA. We knew it was coming. We said our internal cap is that our highest played player was going to be Drew Doughty and, uh, and, and Kopitar. And we got them at 11 million. So we knew from that point on, no matter who came up, who our big stars were, that's that, that was going to be the ceiling. And if you wanted to play there, that was going to be the ceiling. Now the Leafs have a much higher ceiling. Um, and again, sure. it seems they seem to be very fortunate that a lot of these players that have not lived up to their expectations are, are, are finding themselves like Muzz is a completely different situation with his injury. Don't know the situation. Uh, Murray obviously injured, but not being productive to be able to put his money in LTIR and then to have Klingberg get off to the start that he had. And obviously a lot of it was injury related, which we're finding out, but he still was not the player they expected to be able to bury that money is something that's huge benefit. Not all the teams have had the same fortune and luck to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Hey, Mike, uh, always appreciate you, buddy. Thanks for coming on today, and hopefully uh, we chat soon. Mike Fuda, two-time Stanley Cup champion, uh, former AGM. A lot of good stuff in there. I-, I got I got more thoughts on that later. Maybe it'll be end up on Leafstock tonight. Anyways, let's do a quick break. Let's come back. Uh, if the Jays are going to make a splash, it might have to involve more trades. So what do they actually have in the farm system? ESPN, MLB Insider, Kylie McDaniel next. All right, before we talk to Kylie McDaniel, I just want to close with some thoughts off of the feud interview. I don't, again, regular season doesn't matter to me is almost taken out of context at this point because I think all of us know regular season doesn't matter has to do with, hey, there's a lot that these guys have accomplished during the regular season and they were given a ton of accolades for it. They were really celebrated for what they accomplished during the regular season. Whether it was Mitch just falling short of 100 points, whether it was Matthews and the Hart Trophy, uh, whether it's been Nylander, what Tavares being a point-of-game player, all these different things. The regular season really matters this week to me. You're at home. You're in front of your home crowd. They pay a ton of money to be in the building. And frankly, you've sucked this year. You haven't been that big of an enjoyable watch. Your top players are being shuffled up, and you got to figure out where you're going to place these guys when they're eating up a large portion of your cap. And uh, it's not all of them, right? Like Tavares and Nylander have been great. That's why they didn't want to split them up. But if you're Matthews and Marner, this is going to be a, 
As far as a regular season test can go, I really do think that right now when you're kind of in it and there's no other option, there's no trade that's coming, there's no firing that you want to see happen, there's no player coming off of injured reserve. Like I mentioned, there's there's nothing. There's no player coming up from the minors, nor should they be looking at it that way anyways. But this is a time. This is a time where it's going to say a lot about those players. Anyway, um, somebody who might have something to say about the Blue Jays and the state of their farm system, who can actually help them. Uh, Kyle McDaniel, ESPN, MLB Insider. Morning, buddy. Thanks for doing this. Good to have you back on. Morning. Hey, how, how you guys doing? Uh, we're doing all right. Except, you know what? I was just thinking before you came on how funny it is. Uh, Jeff Passan puts out a report with the Blue Jays still in the Shohei sweepstakes. Uh, it feels like they're down to being one of the three teams or one of the four teams. Or at least they're in the mix, right? And people here do not care because they do not believe. <laughs> like Nobody here, not one soul is preparing themselves for actually landing Shohei Otani. No matter how many people go, hey, they're dark horses or they're outsiders or whatever. It's just, we've been through this dance before and it's just, it's amazing that a generational talent, the most exciting sweepstakes for a player that I can remember in baseball anyway, and Toronto's in it, but we don't feel that way at all. Like it's, it's barely a point of discussion. Do you think that's like the uh, like the character of the city? Like I, I know in, in the states, you heard a lot about like Philly and Buffalo and some of these places that are historically always lost, and so they have this fatalistic approach to things. Or do you think it's just like because because of the baseball team and how it's gone in the past, they're just like, oh, things aren't going to work out for this team. I think it's the main selling point we keep hearing is Shohei can open himself up to a country, but then you remember that our entire country is like the population of New York or California. So you go, yeah, all right, like. He can just do that, but there. Uh, Two is that the baseball team just isn't where it was supposed to be. Like, they haven't won a playoff game with Bo and Vladdy. And so that's, I think, pretty important if we're talking about Shohei wanting to win. Why would he identify this team as the, oh, well, these guys give me the great opportunity to win unless there's something else, which is... Um, part of the the secondary topics that I want to talk to you about today. And then, yeah, the, this is a market that fatalistic wise, there's a lot of uh, always the bridesmaid here when it comes to free agents. Like when it comes to posting for players or, hey, they were actually in on this guy. There's always the report that comes out like a month after someone signs that, hey, Toronto was actually very active. They just weren't able to close the deal. And so I think it's all those things coming together that's causing the just complete pessimism from the fan base to believe that, yeah, there's no shot here. Yeah, and I would, I mean, I would have them as, as big underdogs. I don't think the yeah. fans are wrong to like not get their hopes up. I would say the Dodgers are huge favorites, and I would say Rangers, Cubs, Mariners, maybe Giants are also in the mix. Mm-hmm. So, like, the odds that Toronto comes up with them, I would say, are 5 or 10%, like, not very high. But even but that, that's, also pretty that's high incredible. In baseball. <laughs> yeah, like, if you told me 5 or 10% to get Shohei Otani, uh, like, last year, I would have said, that's incredible. What happened? Did we win the World Series? Like, that's that's what well, I would yeah. have thought. Yeah, the odds would say once 12 Otani-level free agents at the market, you will sign one of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. See? That's it. I, I would love I would love those odds. Okay. So, um, before we move into some of the prospects, because I do feel like if this team was to actually have a realistic shot at Shohei Otani, it would be with the implication of, don't worry, we're moving all in. Like, we're, we're making sure that there's other winning pieces around you, that you're joining a team that doesn't look exactly like this. Um... But everybody keeps reporting about, hey, the Jays want to make a splash. The Jays want to do something big, right? Like Pass and Robert Murray, every John Morosi, every single insider is coming out with this. What, what's your read on the, the Jays' splash desire? How are you interpreting that? Well, I'll, I'll answer your question totally differently. So the, my sort of background is in scouting yep. like high school and college players. And this 
uh, time of year is the time of year that when I talk to scouts, we don't talk so much about players because it's sort of like they haven't really played in a few months. It's not really relevant for a few months. And so the thing they always bring up is, oh, who's getting fired? Not because they want to see people fired, but because scouts get to advance when people get fired, spots come open, promotions are available, things like that. And so this time of year when I talk to a scout, they're always like, okay, what GMs are on the hot seats? You know, who's a maybe? Who might like to save their job for next year, get rid of their scouting director? Like those sorts of questions. And I had a talk with a a high-level executive last night, and we went through that exercise. And there's, you know, two or three teams where it's like, yeah, they don't have a good season. Could be dumped in the middle of the year. Mm -hmm. The Blue Jays came up in the conversation because they've been spending a lot of money. They're in a really good division. They have some good players. They haven't been finding results. And it's not like they are like, say, like how Cleveland is with pitching, where it's like, oh, they're really good at this one thing. You got to let them keep going. Um, or like the Yankees have been good until basically the last year or two. Let, give them one year to come back to it. And with the Blue Jays, like, I can't really make that narrative where it's like, well, if they just had a little bit more money or if, you know, this one guy didn't get hurt mm-hmm. or whatever it was, it's like, I can't give you a clean answer as to how this like sort of resolves itself. That's not to say they can't, you know, sign Otani in 100 games next year. That's obviously like on the table. Um, but that's like, I think part of the problem is the, the narrative and the, I would even just say like the evaluation, like is, is the picking of the players with the farm system or the moves in free agency that like Gabby Moreno, Lourdes Gurriel for mm-hmm. uh, Varsho trade was like, you know, one of the bigger moves last winter for the team. And like, it didn't really work out that well. Like it's fine, but like you probably would reverse that if you could. Oh, yeah, um, and so I think that's more the question. So then t- pivoting that into what your question was, do you think, you know, ownership, the president, you know, whatever the decision maker is for the payroll, do they think, oh, what this team needs is to really go for it, or we need to step outside of the idea of a payroll and just sign Otani and get like a global superstar? Is that what they think the solution will be to where they are? Or is it like some other teams where a guy's like maybe getting toward the hot seat where they sort of pair back spending and they're like, all right, let's see if you can do it. And then I'll give you money as you earn it. Yeah, like where, not- where do you, what direction do you think that will go? Because at this point, there's a lot of bluster and, and rumors and who has money and who doesn't. And it's about 50-50 guessing if it's actually real. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm always dubious of it when it's always rival executives, which is a lot of these reports. It's rival executives say the Blue Jays want to be, be, see a big splash. I'm like, all right. Like maybe some of that is they're talking to you about trades, but maybe some of it is just them recognizing and doing the exercise that you just did, and that a lot of us are doing, which is feeling. We're going to be cushioning the blow that when Otani signs, they get to leak that we were in second, and they think that that's a win and gets them an extension because like then they do do that in every market. Then then they have complete. Then actually, one of the big criticisms of Shapiro and Atkins here is that they've never really understood this baseball market, like the fan base, and that would be the ultimate. (laughs) That would be the actual ultimate showing is if they rolled that out to these fans, going, "We were in it." Everybody, yeah. would you like to celebrate us out? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then just we're met with a chorus of boos, and then they walk back into the palace, and they're like, what happened? We thought this was a huge win for us. Um, yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said. The other piece of it, too, and I think a really important one for this team, is that they can't take the step backwards, and they do need something to reinvigorate the fan base because it isn't great right now. They can't just come back with the same old, same old, especially given that they've kept the same front office because they've renovated the stadium and it's not a new stadium, right? It's one of the like older, crappier ones in baseball actually. But yeah, they've done a really good job at renovating the seats and now they spent a ton of money. They don't want to have August come around and fans not show up to this place. Like they need a packed house for the entirety of the season. And so, yeah, I do think that they're going to have the desire to do something big. It just becomes a question of what can they actually do if it's not the Hail Mary of Otani. And so that's why I want to talk to you today about the farm system is because 
I, I just don't see a lot from the major league roster that they can pull from that's going to make a ton of sense. Like people like to do Vlad trades and myself included, right? People keep doing like, hey, what would you do? Would you do Vladdy for Soto? And I'm like, I don't know, maybe, yeah. Um, people like to do, uh, would you, is there a huge package that you would give up uh, or to acquire Boba Shett? And would the Blue Jays be in on something like that? And I just, I don't see it. I just really don't understand how that works. And so I wanted to go through the farm system with you today and see if there are actual really attractive pieces so the Jays can do for a lack of better comparison, another Gabriel Moreno trade where they bring in, yeah, long-term piece of this franchise for some prospects. Um, So I'll just start with this. How do you view just like the overall depth of this organization's farm system? Because last year when I had you on around the same time, it it was painting a, a bit of a bleak picture. Yeah, I would say they're in the – I haven't done – I'm, like, in the middle of doing the, the rankings that will come out in about two months. Mm-hmm. And the – where it ended last year, which is, you know, pretty informed. Like, it's pretty close to what I'll end up having at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in, like, the 20 to 23 area. And the – I would say two-thirds, roughly, of that value, because I – for people have followed my stuff before, uh, the way I do it is essentially each player gets a dollar value, and then I add them all up. And mm-hmm. the players in the top, like, say, 50 of the top 100 are where the, you know, bulk of the value is. So, yep. like, Ricky Tiedemann – is going to be 15th or 20th or something like that on the list. And I think if you look at like, hey, are we going to add a starting pitcher? I think he's the starting pitcher they're going to add. I would guess Manoa gets traded. I would guess Tiedemann's in the rotation by midseason. Uh, I would guess that's sort of like the big addition. I don't think there's going to be like a Yamamoto-level guy. Um, it, when he uh, when Tiedemann um, graduates, it will then be in the bottom five, probably, probably about 25th farm system mm-hmm. and you have a Elvis Martinez also right there about to graduate. And so if he graduates, say by the middle of the season, uh, then it'll move down even further. Then it'll be bottom three or four. Um, and then it's like, okay, well, we'll need some guys to step up. We'll need a good draft class when the international class, like you, you kind of need some things to happen because once you get in that bottom, if you're a big market contending team, it's kind of hard to get out of it because like, this happened with the Braves. They did some things right where they would draft a guy to get straight to the big leagues, or they would trade him for Sean Murphy, Matt Olson, whatever. And so basically guys are coming in and just immediately going out of the system one way or another, whether good or bad. And you can't get out of the bottom five because you're not picking high enough and you're not like adding guys at the deadline. And so if you're looking at that, as sort of ammunition for how good can the team become? Can we make a big trade? The answer has been like probably not for a little while. And now the two main guys, Tiedemann and Martinez, both may graduate this year. And then if those guys come up and are not immediately good, then their trade value deflates and they're not prospects anymore. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, as I'm saying, like the ammunition sort of sort of backs up to where it is then Addison Barger's, you know, nice extra guy, Brandon Barriera and Arjun Namala are pretty far off. You kind of need them to perform. Mm-hmm. Um, then it gets to be like, you know, kind of extra guys would be how most teams would look at it. Yeah. And see, this is why, again, this makes it so hard for me to see this, whatever the splash is outside the Otani Hail Mary is you you look at it and go, all right, well, Tiedemann has basically, the word has been forever. He's an untouchable guy for this organization. And you said it, like he could have an impact on this team this year, right? So that, that means you're pulling from that 25 pool that you're talking about when trying to make a move like this. And, and that just makes it harder and harder and harder for me to believe that, yeah, they're actually going to be able to accomplish something where, yeah, they're not pulling from the major league roster. So last year, again, when I was speaking to you, Tiedemann's arm slot worried you, um, but he was dominant when he was healthy. And like that materialized immediately, right? Because he had a shoulder issue right away in spring. But yeah, the 45 innings that he did pitch were great. And by the sounds and like kind of reading between what you just said there about how high he is in your prospect rankings, I'm guessing though that like what you, when you actually saw him pitch, the results maybe boosted his stock to you. 
Yeah, the the arm slot is not necessarily like a a long-term concern or an injury concern. It is uh, how is that going to play. In Mm -hmm. one way, the low arm slot means the fastball will play at the top of the zone. It also means he can probably throw a good changeup, but then is it coming in low enough that right-handers are going to head off him? Like That's just sort of like the generic concern of guys that throw – uh, with that arm angle, okay. arm angle, uh, and then obviously like him, you know, having some injuries uh, also makes you pause because he also was like a pretty generic like third round pick, wasn't even really a guy out of high school, uh, and now he's still in his early twenties. So there's also usually a little bit of a pause when a guy goes from not very good to really really good immediately. Uh, and his came with a velo bump, which is another thing where like injuries often become a factor when all of that happens very quickly. Can the body handle it? So I think there's a little bit of a consolidation. I think he will be fine. I think he's very similar to Kyle Harrison, who came up last year for San Francisco. Uh, probably like a tier behind Yuri Perez, who came up with Miami. I wouldn't have like sort of rookie of the year expectations, but that's certainly he'd be one of the five or ten guys I would say that could do that. I would say expect him to be like a really good like third starter that you can slot in behind Gaussman and Barrio. So look kind of take that spot as Bassett, Kikuchi, you know, those guys maybe receive in the background as they get into their mid thirties. I, I would I expect that you'll probably get that, but it's not like I wouldn't expect you're going to get a frontline guy that's going to change everything. And, you know, he's going to be starting the playoff game and uh, game one in Toronto. Like that, that's not what you should really expect. That doesn't happen, but like once or twice every season or two. And I think Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson might give people, you know, sort of uh, false expectations that that's kind of how this plays out. Mm, yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a good perspective for everybody to have here though. All right. So again, going back to last time you were on with me, we talked about Aurelvis Martinez and this was a year ago. You viewed him as like a boomer bust type prospects that was polarizing among some teams. Now he made some changes to approach this season and goes up to AAA, has an 847 OPS and 250 plate appearances. Uh, how has his stock changed? Has it, has it changed materially to you? Not really. He's still a guy that is his approach is sort of the thing holding him back. Uh, or I, I guess you could say either approach or his contact in the zone. So he's probably not going to be like a 360, 370 on base guy. And the reason that becomes a concern is he's just okay defensively at third base. Uh, there's like sort of loft within the zone. So he's going to swing this in the zone some. The walks have crept up, which is good, but the strikeouts have also crept up, which then, you know, that raises the concern that things could go well. He could hit 260 with a 330 on base, 25 homers, and play a passable third base mm. and, you know, sort of take over for Matt Chapman, and all of this goes perfectly. But, like, that's kind of what you're excited about. If it doesn't go well, he comes up, and a guy that maybe should run a 27% strikeout rate, which is right on the border where, you know, things can work, and in short stints when you bring him up, he's running a 35% strikeout rate, which we've seen with a lot of non-top 50 guys when they come up sometimes they're just terrible for 100 abs and just you know the game's a little too fast they got to slow it down and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't sometimes it never does sometimes they figure it out in the 200th ab that's the concern with him is it does it come up and it's totally disastrous and you got to send him back down and it's like a slower process or does he come up and immediately solve the problem which i would imagine is part of what toronto's talking about when they're <clears throat> looking at bringing back matt chapman or do we roll with relvis uh what do we do you'd love to have the problem of having too many good players, but also Matt Chapman's deal. You should be paying, you know, a retail rate for him going into age 35, 36. Like that also isn't going to work perfectly. So it's sort of like, you've got to find an answer out of two, not very good answers, even though the players are good. Like neither one of those is going to be like a slam dunk, easy call. And you kind of got to pick one. You can't really go with both. Yeah. Um, for me paying Matt Chapman, the money that he is likely to command is just an impossibility for this team with some of the contracts that they have coming up. Um, yeah, I just, I, I don't also take you out of the Otani conversation as well. A hundred percent. That important to the team. A hundred percent. And, I, but the other part of it is, yeah, the internal presentation is a who just went over. And then the other guy is, 
Yeah, what do you think of the idea that Addison Barger could be, uh, yeah, the team's regular third baseman as of next year, or at least someone who plays a, bu- a bunch of games there? Uh, I think he certainly can be an important player. He's the, um, you know, the correct side of the platoon that can play an emergency shortstop, pretty good second uh, and third, can make contact, has a little pop. I think if you were to like sort of mash together him and Schneider and Biggio and, you know, Clement, Nato Lopez, like it's Espinal, like you throw all those guys together. There's probably like a good platoon in there out of those guys. <laughs> like, so I think you can feel made a monster of like six guys. You're like, yeah, they could all combine all their best talents into one guy. They would be fine. It's going to be a, it's a Voltron platoon third baseman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's yeah. going to give you league average production. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, I don't know. I, I wouldn't bet on Berger being a guy that you're just sort of like, Oh yeah, this guy's going to get, you know, two or three war. Yeah. He's going to be a slam dunk guy for the next five years. We'll tr- be trying to extend him for the next couple of years. Like, I don't think he's quite there, but I think he's a really good player. That's probably the best of that group. If I had to guess, I'd say him and Schneider are probably the two best guys. Hmm. And also being lefty and righty, like those two might be the platoon. And then Biggio's the bench bat and Espinal's the, you know, utility infielder and Lopez and Clement can kind of go in the background. Like I would guess that how, how it plays out. Mm-hmm. So having a relevant and Barger, I think gives you a little bit of confidence that you're like, all right, if one's terrible, the other one will be okay. And we still got two spots to fill, but Schneider was pretty good and Biggio was okay. And that's what I mean. Like you don't feel great about any of those, but you got enough guys that are good enough. You've probably got an answer there, mm-hmm. but it's probably going to be one of the weaker points of the team next year. And you can hope that maybe, you know, 2026, it'll be like a stronger point because you will have figured it out. And those guys will sort of blossom to what they're going to become. Yeah. Just again, you have a lot of pressure on your, you, you don't have the the luxury of, Hey, don't worry. 2026, <laughs> uh, not with this front office anyway, not with where this fan base is at. And so, yeah, you mentioned David Schneider, he, Spencer Horowitz, Bowden Francis. These are all guys that made an impact with the big league club last year, but do you view them as anything more than, yeah, depth platoon uh, type pieces that you use in a pinch. Like, is there anybody in that group that that you view as, hey, actually they have maybe a little bit more to offer. They could be a, a regular everyday guy. Not really. I, I think those those guys typically, I would say, uh, maybe one of them will have like a regular season or two and then go back to being platoon guy, extra guy, bench David bat, Schneider probably player, just whatever. His. Yeah, that's possible. That he's actually like a uh, he's one of those guys where the numbers guys like him and the eyeball scouts don't like him. Mm. And so I think he'll be a bit of an interesting guy to see like how it plays out and how people perceive it. And then also look at the stack ass numbers as even like you know uh, irresponsibly lucky. And so even though the numbers say he's good, you know, none of the numbers guys actually think he's good. Like he's in that general area where it's just sort of like that guy's probably not going to make an all star team. So like maybe don't plan on it. But like he could be good for three years, which is like definitely you'd be excited about having that guy at the league minimum for a while. It solves a lot of problems for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you probably want to plan on we're going to pencil this guy you know bat right behind Vladdy will be great uh it's like no it's probably just an extra guy but that also you know bringing those guys up also answers a, a little bit not emphatically but answers a little bit the question of what's the point of here what is this team good at why if you're the owner do you want to give this regime 220 million dollars to spend on the team you need to be creating guys that were not high draft picks or you know centerpieces of trades or whatever you need to make guys out of nothing to for me to justify that's that's why David Stearns is making I'm going to guess eight or ten million dollars running the Mets is because he's in charge of the Brewers just like all these guys that have been in charge of the race have proven that they can have no money and make good players. And then you go give them money and they got to figure out like a slightly different way to do it. But like you, you would wish you'd have that core competency that this team will create players out of nothing and third round picks will turn into core players. And first rounders will always be a certain level of good, or at least they'll be traded before it turns out they're bad. Uh, that needs to be happening more often and at a higher level because for better or worse, like Bo Bichette, pretty high pick, like Vlad jr, the best guy in his class. Like you kind of have to be able to turn guys into that level of guy who weren't always expected to be that level of guy. Uh, And that's the kind of thing that gives you the margin to then have the money to spend on guys. 
because you have five dudes making the league minimum that, you know, kind of weren't first round picks. That's, that's kind of what I'm going back to mm-hmm. is if that was solved and we knew David Schneider was a guy uh, and we knew Ben Francis was a the guy, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden there's extra money to spend. And all of a sudden like the holes you got to fill are not as important and you can afford to take some risks in free agency and you have some margin for error. And then this whole thing becomes easier and we're not talking about, well, things don't work out this year. What happens to this regime? Mm-hmm. That conversation then changes. Yeah. Which is so crazy because again, I, it was two years ago where, we were having uh, talks in the city about how we've never seen the Jays with as much optimism that was on the actual roster, the payroll, and the farm system all being in sync. And now all of a sudden it's like there's two years left of these two-star players, a lot of your free agent signings outside of Gossman. But yeah, they yeah, it looks like it's money that's hurting you, at, at least at the price. Not that none of these guys can play, but just that the price is starting to hurt you. And yeah, that the farm system is in a uh, yeah in a position where you remove the top guy in their 25th in all of baseball. So that brings me to this one then. And you, by the way, you are fully free to just say pass on this question, okay? Because who knows? And you said it, you're, you're not all the way down going through the prospects. And I don't know how high this guy would have been for you anyways, and he's not a name that you mentioned. But I texted people before this interview asking, hey, who would you want to know about from Kylie? Who would you want to know about from Kylie? And the answer I got back from multiple people that cover this team and that know about this team was a guy named Alan Roden. Are you even familiar with his name? I, I just bolded the name on my spreadsheet. And I was guessing that's who you were going to say. Okay. Okay. So, all right. So then let's get into this. Is this, he's, he, he's not a first round pick. He's a third round pick. He's 23 years old. Yep. He just had a good year. Uh, like I was, he walks a bunch, which is refreshing. I told that to my buddy Ben Ennis just now. And he was like, well, bring him up. We need this guy. Cause he loves walk so much. Uh, yeah, somebody who I think gave them a lot more than they wanted, who is expected to go to AAA. But yeah, would you view kind of, would he be your choice as guy that maybe exceeds expectations or becomes the the prospect household name this year? So he was a guy uh, at a Creighton in the draft. It was not a lot of tools, not a big profile, not even a guy that was good the summer before, uh, but had huge walks, a great approach, made a lot of contact. But he's like left field, first base, DH, like not a lot of defensive value. Uh, it turns out that the, that sort of hit and approach uh, translated into the lower to mid minors. And so now it's like, all right, this guy's definitely a big leaguer now. He's like at least that, like, you know, latter day Matt Stairs bench bat. Like, he's at least that. Uh, but I'm, I'm like looking at his advanced track man stuff. The power still hasn't come yet. Mm-hmm. Now, there are certain teams like, say, Baltimore, the, Angel, or the Dodgers, uh, where I keep coming back to this, like, core competency. If you can create league average power, 15 homers, you know, 18 homers out of this guy then that's a good everyday guy because he's the kind of guy that might hit 280 with a 380 on base. And if you can hit 15 homers and play like a fringy left field, then that's the guy that's like starting on a playoff team. Maybe he's getting platoons, like, you know, whatever. But like, that's a good player that you normally have to spend $12 million on the free agent market to get. And you could get that guy for free and get him in the third round. This is exactly the guy we're talking about. As he is right now, he's a guy that'll, you know, again, probably hit 280 with a good on base, but might hit like eight or 10 homers. Like that's probably where he is right now. If nothing changes and he's already 23. Um, Mm. But if there is an additional gear to be had there, which is what the best organizations do with this kind of guy, it's already a win that your third rounder is going to be a big leaguer that can hit and get on base. Like that's solid. But if you end up getting say Kevin Biggio as your third rounder, you're like, okay, like he's a big leaguer. He's useful. He's fine. It's good that we got somebody. Most teams get nobody in that round, but can he turn into that guy? And he was another guy, him and David Schneider. I was actually talking to an analyst uh, when I was doing some work on Toronto and he brought up Roden and Schneider as like the two guys that like he was into, but he was like, I know some of our other guys are not into him. And I'm, I'm those are the guys I'm kind of, you know, p- putting my bets on to, to see if that's who the guy is. And it's interesting that you then pair those guys with Brandon Barriera, 
high risk, high reward, big stuff, high octane high school pitcher in Arjun Namala, maybe the highest risk, highest reward high school hitter uh, of recent memory. Uh, it's interesting that a team that is taking these sort of like mid-major, not a lot of tools, uh, performance guys in the later rounds, and then also taking the very traditional high upside, high high tools upside guys in the first round. Like that's a, essentially the opposite kinds of players, which is interesting to me, and suggests that there is some thought toward uh, like what Oakland did a little while ago, where they were taking guys because they were like, if this guy at sixth overall, that's a high risk, high reward high school player, if he hits. Mm. He'll be a $200 million free agent. We can't afford that guy. So the sixth overall pick, we have to take that guy. Later in the draft, sure, we'll take whatever guy makes sense, you know, all kinds of different dudes. But at the top of the draft, we have to take the guy that we can't afford, which is also interesting in the context of talking about Otani, is they're drafting guys as though they can't afford those guys. That's part of the reason I think that maybe Otani isn't really realistic. But, yes, to answer your question, Roden and Schneider, I think, are the two sort of like – those are the two hopes from the uh, from from this point of view of can we create players out of nothing. If those guys both turn into something, then that would be like a pretty emphatic end, end of the yes column to sort of answer the question that I'm asking. I like that you're only halfway through, you know, only halfway through we're looking through these prospects. Well, if you're asking somebody on the bottom half of the rankings. I, I guess, you know, yeah, like, fine, fine. But either way, this is very impressive. And I, Hey, man, I appreciate you coming on because I, I always feel a lot smarter after, yeah, you give us your insights. So thank you for doing this today. Yeah, and I would also, while we're talking about all those sorts of guys, Adrian Pinto, second baseman, another guy like that. Lots of contact, not okay. a ton of tools. If he performs, keep an eye on him. He was quite from Colorado. That was the other name I thought you were going to say because those are all in the same. That's the kind of guys the Cleveland signed. So, just to, uh, to, give, to give you one for the road. Tough having the name Pinto and not thinking that's good, like, you know, that, that's not going to be a bust. Like, it just, it just feels like, but I'll, I'll buy it. I mean, he's not big. He packs yeah. a lot of oh, Shock. The package. Pinto yeah. isn't big? Uh, well, we're talking Pinto Bean now? Yeah, no. <laughs> the car. <laughs> but yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Okay, so he's what? I didn't even, like, he didn't even come across my radar when preparing this. So yeah, this one's a shock to me. Yeah, another little, I mean, it's actually the conversation I was having with that exec last night is that the, the Cleveland style player, the little guy without a bunch of bat speed that makes a lot of contact and plays up the middle, that, that mm-hmm. player is going a little bit out of vogue. I think more players, more teams are looking for like the giant dude with bat speed that can like hit a bunch of home runs and light up stat cast. Mm-hmm. And so this is, you know, Roden and Schneider and Pinto. Uh, those guys are all in that slightly older point of view. Obviously, some former Cleveland guys in this office. I think they're still approaching things that way, but trying to diversify some with, like I was saying, the barriers and the Namalas and the Tiedemans and the Martinez is that they're getting some of that other kind of guy too, because I think if you're, if you're wholesale into one type of guy, I think you're probably in trouble. So it's, it's good that at least diversifying at this point and, uh, and seeing what works for them. Okay. Well, I'm hoping that they can offer him in a trade for Juan Soto and say, Hey, Kyle McDaniel said, this is a player to look out for. So maybe uh, the, the, the last thing I'll leave you with is uh, when Messi was brought into MLS uh, yeah. because Apple and Adidas and all these companies got together. Yeah. Do you think there's something to be done with Tim Hortons and Otani? I'll just throw mm-hmm. that out there. You can discuss that in the next segment. Unfortunately. Yeah. It's an American uh, owned company now. So probably a tougher one, but maybe if they're still looking to keep the foothold here in the country, <laughs> but yeah, that will be that. You know what? We'll spin that in the next one. Thanks for coming on Kylie. Appreciate <laughs> it, buddy. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Take care. Uh, Kyle McDaniel, ESPN MLB insider. And yeah, someone who I usually take notes on when he comes on because I, I store away this information when we're talking about these prospects. And I think that, okay, this perspective is important because I was actually hoping that this, the Jays farm system was going to have a slight stock up that we're going to look at this and say, Hey, there's actually a little bit more here than you would have thought. Um, turns out no, <laughs> turns out no. So, 
I'm continuing to try to paint this picture of the Blue Jays in the offseason, trying to be realistic about it, but it's like they can be in on Shohei all they want. Every top mind says the same thing, which is, hey, it would be a long shot. If it ends up happening, it would be pretty shocking if it happens. That is the fix-all, right? Is if the Jays sign Otani, then everybody's going to the park all season long. You feel like they're a World Series contender that drastically changes their outlook in the division, that they don't really need to change even much else that every signing around the fringes automatically, like he is the, the cure of all cures. Yeah. Everything else is an imperfect fit. Sorry. As, as awesome as it would be to bring Cody Bellinger in here. Um, if you want to just use Kylie as an example, when he wrote his article about free agents that he would avoid or to be wary of, sorry, not avoid. Cody Bellinger was number two on his list. And so, yeah, you know, you're, you're talking about seven years, $150 million, maybe more. For Cody Bellinger, it's it's steep. That's steep. That's it's just. Here's what I'll say: It's not Otani. It's not Otani. And then trying to build out the rest of the roster, it just gets it's harder and harder to see how it ends up operating or how it ends up working. Um, do I think that the Jays are going to be a competitive baseball team next year? Absolutely, I do. Okay, but either way, free agency. It has one super duper star at the top a secondary guy that is imperfect, but would still be a huge splash in Bellinger. And then after that, it's yeah, a, a lot of not so great when it comes to bats, which is what this team really needs. All right, two, could they make a trade? Or do they have someone that's going to come up? Well, I just he just told you, and I think this is, in, this is pretty tied in with what most people are saying in terms of, and probably what you know already as a fan, that the guys that were up here as the quad A dudes last year and the guys that are going to push like Arelvis and Addison and... Uh, the potential platoon that he just mentioned of Davis Schneider and Kevin Bijan, like none of this is really a very good option, right? Okay, so internally, it's tough for you to bring somebody up that's going to cause a splash or going to cause some excitement right out of the gate. Maybe it feels like Garelvis, yeah, is the best case scenario that he does find a way to be an impact player in the major leagues earlier than we expected him to. But then the last part is just, if you really want to improve the team through trade, which is a lot of the discussion right now, right? is what's holding up some of the free agent market? Well, teams are trying to explore trades and get cost-controllable guys. The Jays did this last year with the Varsho-Moreno trade that didn't work out. But this year, it doesn't seem... Well, what we're hearing from a guy like Kylie is, unless you're going to deal a guy like Tiedemann, who looks like he could be helping this team immediately this year, who they kind of might need if Manoa's going to get shipped... You're, you're talking about a, the, the, the guy that's at the very top of your prospect pool being one of the only guys that can be a real needle mover in a trade. So, yeah, I just think that they're in a, an increasingly difficult spot as much as they just want to make a splash. It just it feels hard, like they were working within really, really, really difficult confines. Anyway, um, let's take a quick break. Let's come back and hit what we missed, including Moody Clay. All right, before we hit what we missed, quickly... Because I want to get into Clay and sports AI, not Allen Iverson. Now it means a new thing. <laughs> when you first said it, I was like, AI, what did yeah. he do? Um, my war against tipping has reached an all-time peak. I Oh, wow. Yeah, I went out with a friend to a wine bar. And this is how far these criminals are going with this, this, the, the, the tipping scam. Which I think, again, we as a society are starting to push back and we're starting to realize, like, we've gone too far. But this is the power that servers have, okay? Go to a wine bar. And they don't even serve you here. It's, you got to go and get 
You got to go up to the front and get it. It's fine, all right? I'm still going to tip something. Hey, they, they did, after all, pour the wine into the glass for me. It's basically going to a sporting event. What are you trying to say? You're all geeked up. Like, Armin, always, he's like, I, 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 he's leaning over the microphone. It's like, let me finish my thought, all right? I go to this wine bar. There's no service. There's no nothing. They don't offer me recommendations on the wine. They just say, you'd like that? Okay, cool. We'll pour it in a cup. And I'm like, thank you. You poured it in the cup. But still, I'm going to tip. The person I'm with decides to grab a bottle of wine afterwards because they also say it's a, it's a wine bar. They sell wine. These bottles are obviously marked up from a, bil- like a, a billion percent, right? There's, it's just these are the most expensive wine bottles you can buy in the entire city, essentially. Um, I know that's not true, but you know what I'm saying. It's like these are they're hipster wines that are marked up. Goes up to the till, buys the bottle of wine, and when you go and buy the bottle of wine at this wine shop, they have the tip option that shows up and accidentally hits the tip. I don't even think accidentally, just kind of panics and is like so used to pressing the buttons. And I was thinking like how much is this bar made off of people buying their expensive wine that you didn't do a thing. They didn't go over. This was not a situation where someone goes out and is like, this is this bottle. What do you like? You know, hey, here's this. Maybe even a little tip, which, by the way, they do at the LCBO where there's no tip. You know, you go to the LCBO, yes, for help on a wine. Uh, a nice little lady will help you <laughs> select your wine. It's happened to me many a times. Hits the tip option, and I go, and, and panics. And I said, oh, whoops, I did it accidentally. Like, I just didn't know. I'm like, ask for a refund and then just repay. No. Way too afraid of the servers. And I'm just saying, it's like, it's a cartel. It is a cartel. <laughs> like, this is what it feels to be under the thumb of a cartel is this city, the service industry, and where tipping has gotten to the point where people are giving 18% on, you know, $60 bottles of wine. You do the math, not me, because I'm too dumb. And then being too afraid to just say, hey, can I please have that money back that I just gave you? Because, God, you do not want to be embarrassed in front of a a server, so a bartender. Oh my God. Could you imagine the horror that the whole bar would look at you in disgust? Anyways, let's get to, uh, let's get back to sports. Um, I'd like to just quickly say my wife is a bartender, so please continue to tip thoroughly and no. well. Um, <laughs> to tip thoroughly we and well if she's doing a good job. <laughs> all right. Enough uh, of 25% and tipping on things like, I, again, all I want to see is not, not put the tip option in front of my face for things that are just nothing services. Like, again, if I go into your high-end baked goods shop and I buy a $5 muffin from you, I don't want to tip 25% sure. on top of yeah, the $5 yeah, yeah. muffin. Sure. Like, it's just I don't want to do it. No one should be doing this. We're reaching crazy points. So, yes, do I like servers? Do I love, you know, your wife and the hard yeah. work that she puts in every <laughs> single day? Yes, but come on, enough no, no, is enough. I, and here, meet me halfway. Yeah. You know what? Don't tip anyone except for my wife. Tip her 100%. Oh, yeah. Do you guys tip on coffee? No. The coffee's brutal. Like, no. the coffee shop around my the corner from my house is like yeah. $5 for one cup of I coffee. And yeah. if you tip, you're end, you end up going like that's what I'm, seven that's what I'm bucks saying. for a I, cup of I coffee, used to which tip is on insane. Coffee. I used to tip on coffee. I used to, like, when I was a cash person. And at the very beginning of coffee, when it was like a reasonably priced thing. But that's it. Is everywhere you go for coffee, it's like, it's all right. It's pretty good. There's some really good places. But even then, I'm like, all right. If I see it's like some four fifty for yeah, a that's cup what I'm of coffee, saying. it's like so. What do you want? Like, yeah, that's it. You want me to give you 
six seven dollars for the, i think the 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 price is baked in that that's, you're giving a little like that, that's all of us drink and just drip coffee they're literally I'm, just yeah, normally going there. in and just getting yeah. a drip yeah, yeah. yeah. same same so, here yeah yeah if i was getting a big old fancy sure you gotta, like you're not creating like levers. yeah, yeah. yeah. pull you levers gotta, yeah. steam shooting yeah. up steam if the steam and levers are <laughs> involved a picture maybe but even then it's like flower on top do your job that's what the money's for. Yeah, anyway. Uh, Clay Thompson. Yeah, Clay Thompson. Usually cool as a cucumber. Got a little spicy, though, uh, in a recent interaction with a reporter. Yeah. Kirk talks a lot about believing in his guys, especially the starting lineup. Won championship not too long ago. Having patience, letting guys kind of, you know, find their game. How aware are you of that kind of patience and, or, and it, how much, do, you know, do you value it? What do you, you want me to bench me? No, no, no. It's like that's you want bench some... wigs. <laughs> you want I don't benches? think I said that. Okay. I mean, you can suggest it. It's fine. But I mean, thanks, Steve. I guess. Like I don't know. Sometimes you earn these things, like mm. patience and time to find yourself. And I think history will uh, is on our side when it comes to that stuff. You say that? Do you, have you heard people say that? Or is, no, is... I don't care what people say. Mm. Like. They don't do what we do. They can't do what they do. That's why they talk. Why would I? Like, come on. I don't care what people say. This point in my life. Clay. Yeah. So a couple things. Oh, yeah. hot. Yeah, you got real hot. Um, the reporter did. I read his piece afterwards, and he did admit that that that's basically what he was asking and maybe he should have just come out a little bit more forcefully. So I, I don't think it's because a lot of people spun this as, Hey, Clay basically just took this the way that he wanted it to. It's like the question wasn't even, should you be bench or would you be comfortable coming off the bench? It's like, yeah, yeah. But it, it wasn't as poignant as it needed to be. And Clay knew what he was dancing around and he hit it. This is what is frustrating to me with, What's I'm tying this back in the Leafs. Get ready. Nice. Get ready, everybody. Nice. Get ready, everybody. I am that guy. Yes. When I say Mitch Marner and them, these guys, like some of them are burnt out where they go, oh, you know, we've been really good here. Like, don't we have the benefit of the doubts? Like, that's the problem with not winning anything, guys, is nobody cares. That's where the regular season doesn't matter. It's tough because no matter what you accomplish in the regular season from a positive aspect, people go, eh. Unless you're William Nylander where you kick it up into a gear that we've never seen before, right? Matthews has to be like shattering his goals record. Yeah, He's got to score 65 worldly. goals yeah. for us to go, all right, fine. We're really impressed and we're going to talk about this before. And But the criticisms will come quick and that would burn you out. I understand it would, but they also have to understand that that's based in a place of, hey, guys, you haven't done anything and this fan base was expecting a lot. You got one playoff series and you all want the most amount of money. Like you can kind of understand why the criticism there is there and the, the skin is so thin with the fan base. Clay Thompson actually does deserve the benefit of the doubt. If I was him, I'd be pissed off. Yeah. This is 17 games into the year. He is a bona fide Hall of Famer. He is playing without a contract extension. I like how Armin's shaking his Borderline head. Hall of Famer, not bona fide. Borderline Hall of Famer. No. Again, the man bonafide. with the worst NBA takes on planet Earth has to interject with another horrific. <laughs> Do you know who goes into the Hall of Fame? Everybody. Like, yeah. Like the idea that Clay Thompson isn't going to walk in first ballot immediately is just one of the most outrageous positions you've taken on the show. And congratulations. You continue to <laughs> borderline. You continue, you continue He'll get to outdo yourself. He'll you continue to outdo yourself. Anyway, you. anyway, 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 um, 
I can't get sidetracked by your lunacy. I can't, I can't have this today. <laughs> so Clay, who is a no doubt about it, lock for the hall of fame, who has some of the most famous moments in golden state warriors history. Game six, clay elimination, clay, one of the greatest shooters ever, a member of the splash brothers guy who has brought multiple championships and helped to golden state guy who's come back from multiple injuries to come play for golden state is 33 years old which is the most depressing thing sports is so rude sports is so rude 33 years old and we're like look at clay up there just you know clinging on to life he's just bag of bones up there 33 god i hope time has passed him will he see another summer (laughs) it's just rude it's the rudest thing um so he's up there and He's having a bad start to the season. There's just like, there's no doubt about it. He's putting up the worst numbers of his entire career. And already people are talking about, hey, what's the deal with him? And what's the future like? And don't pay Clay. That's the undertone that's probably pissing him off more than anything is he's up for a contract extension. And everybody on planet Earth knows the right thing to do is not to give Clay Thompson a big bag of money. That's nuts. You're paying for past performance here. Some guys are going to age gracefully. Clay's had a bunch of injuries, and if he's not going to shoot the lights out every single time he touches the basketball, people are going to question it. Or guard anyone. That's it. He's not the same defender that he used to be, obviously. But I'm saying that if he was still at least an awesome shooter, right? If he was, And he is an awesome shooter. What I'm saying is at least if he was lights out, he's getting paid until he's 38 years old just to stand in a corner and knock one yeah. down. Like That was that, the thing you thought he would do is he would exactly. shoot 42% yes. on, eight, on 10 attempts a night. So to me, this is a... This is a confluence of a guy who's pissed off at his game, who's pissed off that he isn't paid, that's pissed off because he doesn't know if he's going to retire a Golden State Warrior, that can't believe that he's even being questioned given the track record that he has in his career and what he has done for this organization and for that fan base and the success they've had and how quickly some of the Warriors fans have seemingly forgotten that, you know, that they're only a couple of years removed now from a championship. So... I think this one's justified. It comes off as a little childish. I don't really love the whole starting to go down the rabbit hole of you can't do what I do. And it's like, yeah, man, we know. Like, we're also not the sons of former NBA players. Like, yeah, some he got off that pretty quick. At yeah, least. yeah, I, I know. Like, he didn't go all the way down to the New York Giants guy who's yeah, like, you, you sell can... hot dogs. But he was close. Yeah, you can He was close. <laughs> Like, you know, when your friends had a couple drinks and they start to say something a little offside yeah. at a party and you're, you're like, giving please, them a nudge, no, you're like, please shut hey, up. Hey, you know don't. what? Let's yeah. go for a smoke, yeah. man. You and me yeah, right ex- now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here's my position on the war. You're like, nah, please don't do this. Please don't. <laughs> that was him right there when he started to go into, and another thing about you people. You're like, no, no, Clay, don't do it. Anyway, I, I think it's justified. I think it's valid. Uh, he's clay. He's clay freaking Thompson. When you've stacked, when you got multiple rings on your fingers and your team's off to a slow start. But don't you guys feel like clay went from one of the most beloved players to like, I think he gets on a lot of people's just nerves nowadays. Mm. He can't get through like a statement without bringing up the past. Just yeah, talk be- about now, Clay. Why are you talking about? See, yeah, but talk about now. Happen. But this is your. That's but all this, he does. No, this he is your generation. Like this fingers. is the Gen Zs. This is the Gen Zs. You guys have and millennials actually too. I will say that we're guilty of this as well. Us Gen Zs and millennials, we are the what happened in the last ten minutes culture. Whatever's happening right now in the last ten minutes is the most important thing, and nothing before that matters. And also, we're not really thinking too much about the future. Like, hopefully, <laughs> it's going to work out now. Hopefully, now is fine. Now, can we get? We're 10 minutes back and 10 minutes forward, and that's it. 
Like, that's the whole thing all the time. And so, yeah, if I'm Clay, I would be a little pissed off that I don't get a little bit more credit and that I have to be the only one that brings up the past because people are constantly bringing up, yo, you suck, you suck, you suck. And that is, they're talking about benching him and Andrew Wiggins. It's like, for what? Moody? Like, yeah. who, who's going to play over him? So, yeah, just sometimes you have to show patience, which Steve Kerr does, and say, maybe they'll figure this thing out as it goes on. So, yeah, no, I... I don't think that every single game that Clay Thompson has should be a referendum, a referendum on whether yes. he's starting or not. So, yeah, anyways, that's enough out of you. What's next? Uh, well, actually, going to Armin, we've yeah. got uh, Sports Illustrated oh, uh, yeah. weird AI thing. So, Armin, go for it. Yeah, uh, Sports oh, yeah. Illustrated pretty AI. much got caught using uh, AI writers that they basically they used a third-party site to get an AI head, headshot of an author and then <laughs> generate articles from AI generated sites and they didn't give disclaimers even. So um, Futurism and the journalist, I believe her name, Maggie Harrison, went and started poking around and they deleted all their stuff off the website. So you can't go look at it now. But basically Sports Illustrated was publishing articles for months uh, using fake AI generated writers. Crazy. Oof. Okay, so where to begin? Um, Can I just say that, like, yeah, when ahead. I was a kid, it Sports was Illustrated was like the Dude. gold standard of any sports-related anything. So <laughs> it's, just, I was, it's just wild. I was thinking about sports journalists this morning because, I, listen, I, I respect the, I respect the craft. I really respect people who do it at the highest level. I really do. Like, there is, there are some of us that are out there that are just built different, let's just say, who put the legwork in and who have done it. And a lot from also who've just been around for a while too. Like when I was at the Christmas party, I was talking to Jeff Blair about like his 30-year career as a writer mm -hmm. and just some of the stuff and the, the work that he had to do and the way that he had to put it in. You're like, damn, that is just not today. Like that is just not, like it's hard to even build the credibility the same way. But there are some people like boots on the ground, you really respect it. Like I, I respect the guys that are there every day with the team or that put the energy into some of these articles and into the reporting. Like it's, it's, I think it's more important than some people say, because I do think if a lot of people care about something then it has an import to your society, which sports do I think it can be a great connector. I think that it can be a part of culture, like all these different elements, but sometimes we do fashion ourselves as like real journalists. And it's like, no, not really. Like we're not really there. Like, but, but the closest we've ever gotten is people who work for sports illustrated. It's like, that was, that was it. So to see them fall and to become this is so incredibly depressing. But the biggest part of it is, the spooky part of this, is that they're not going to be the only one to do this. Oh, there are some outlets who are probably like, oh my buddy, God, they found you, out. You write, you write wire copy? Like you write the wire stories that they're firing up the website? I'm pretty sure some places are already doing it. They're just like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Give us the AI story. We don't need anybody to be writing this. And that's how like a lot of great sports writers started too, is being like writing for Gamers Associated and Press and Canadian Press, those things like, so that's already troubling. But yeah, I just, this is, this makes me nervous about how brazen companies are going to start to get with the AI coverage and the AI content and how someday the JD Punkus podcast will just be like an AI thing. It's like, here are all the stats, <laughs> and people are going to go, there, there you go. The so Maple Leafs yeah. lost again. Yeah. Don't you hate them? <laughs> 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 anyway, subscribe to the podcast. Leave five stars. We'll see you tomorrow.